So um, we, we go from that to a completely different thought and vein. Fakes and phonies. Josh is not a fake nor a phony, we hope. Now we have inspected his life and it is not fake or phony. But we live in a world full of fake stuff, don't we? Anybody ever find a real good deal on Amazon or eBay? CNN. Or on CNN, yeah. It's like you order, you're like, I can't believe this thing that's usually $428 is only $12. And then you get it in, you're like, oh. Oh, I see what you did there. It's a fake. I don't know if, I've, I've never been to New York, but you know, you see the, the movies and the TV shows, people opening up their fest and they got all these Rolexes, you know, for $10, $10. Usually a $10,000 watch today and today only, it's yours for $10. You're right, right? It's probably not even stolen. It's probably not going to tick more than 12 seconds after you walk away from that nice gentleman who wanted to share this deal with you. How can you tell what's real and what's not? Um, Some time ago, I bought a pair of Oakley sunglasses, okay? Got some money for my birthday and Christmas, and I wanted a pair of Oakley sunglasses. And I put them on, and I went to work, and a guy said, man, those are nice. Are they real? And I'm like, I mean, you know, they're tangible. I don't know what you mean. And he, and he meant, did you buy real ones? Are they the real deal, or are they fakes or phonies? How can you tell what's real? And I mean, I'm sitting there going, I, I, guess, I guess they're real. You know, I, I, don't, I, I didn't, like, go to the factory and pick them up, but how can you tell? Well... I mean, if you're buying something, the price maybe can tell you. Again, you don't get a $10,000 watch for $10 and expect it to be the real deal. So price is one way. Um, The quality of the thing. You know, if you get it and it feels like it came from the dollar store, it probably came from the dollar store. Made by some poor child in Indonesia or somewhere, probably. Who's selling it? That's another one. That's a way you can tell if something's real, if it's quality or not. And look at the thing. Inspect it. There are markers. There are ways that you can tell if something is real or not. Well, unfortunately, there are some people in the church who aren't real. There are some people who lead in the church who aren't real. How can we tell? And what should we do if we find out that the person is not real? What if they're a fake? What if they're a phony? Well, as you probably guessed, the Bible addresses just such a topic, and we're going to look at it today. We're going to focus today on Matthew 7, 15 to 20. We're going to read like we did last week, uh, verse 13 down through verse 27, to get the big context. Remember what we talked about last week. Looking forward to what we'll talk about in the next week or two. So if you would stand, if you're able and can, and as we hear the words of the God-man, spoken by Christ Himself, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and ordained by our Father for us today. Matthew seven thirteen to 27. Enter 
by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Let's pray. Father, we come thanking you for what you have said, for what you have done, and we come asking you to help us understand it and to help us be faithful in doing what you prescribe for us today. Father, we need your Spirit's help. Convict us, draw us, encourage us, strengthen us, and send us out into the world to do what you've called us to today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Side note, just real quick. Some people, myself included in the past, rail against tradition, repetition, And man, it's just nice to have a rhythm to live to. It's nice to say amen after reading the scripture and say, you can be seated. And to do that every week. Just, sorry, that just hit me. It's nice. just feels nice. And it's all about how I feel, right? So here we go. Verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, just again, let me play therapist for a minute. How does that make you feel? When you hear that, when you hear Jesus, the Son of God, saying to His disciples, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. How does it make you feel? What's, What's it do to you? I hope it stirs something up in you, and it's not just words. I hope that it moves you. And I don't mean like, oh, I mean, I'm talking like moves you into action. That there is something moving in you this morning. So we looked at last week, Jesus saying, enter by the narrow gate. Again, that was the command, if you'll remember last week. For the gate is wide, the path is easy, and many are those who are going to destruction, but four actually. The gate is narrow, the road is hard, and few are those who find the one that leads to life. Now, last week was a hard message. It was hard-hitting. It was 
Oh, Jason up here slapping and yelling and meddling and stomping on toes. My own, mostly, by the way. And then today we're going to see Jesus continue that thought and He's given us a warning. Okay? So He starts this with beware. And it literally means but beware. Okay? So enter by the narrow gate. The way is broad. The gate is broad. The way is easy. Many are those leading to destruction. Gate is narrow. Way is hard. Few are those who find it that lead to life. But beware. Beware. Now we said last week we need to make up our minds and see the whole thing as accomplished, as done in that aorist tense that we talked about last week, which I'd really like to explain a little bit more. We can't do it this morning. But beware. So make it a done deal, but beware. Because something's going to happen. And that word beware, and this is going to be important in our, in our lesson today and what we talk about today, it's important to know what that word beware means. Let me read you some definitions. It means to turn the mind to, to attend to or be attentive to a person or a thing of caring for, providing for, to attend to oneself, to give heed to oneself, to give attention to, to apply oneself to, to attach oneself to, to hold or cleave to a person or thing, to be given or addicted to, to devote thought and effort to. Now be careful here because if you just took beware, and it sounds like he's saying be addicted to these people. Be addicted to this. Cleave to them. And what he's saying is don't. Beware. Don't be addicted to. Don't cleave to. Don't hold to. Don't give your attention to these people that we're going to talk about today. Beware. So if you see a beware of dog sign, it's saying know that the dog is there and avoid that dog at all costs. That's what it's saying. Okay. And here Jesus is saying don't give yourself to these false prophets. Don't give attention to them. Don't be given or addicted to them. Don't devote your thoughts or efforts to them. And him saying, but beware, ties it directly to what we had said previously, which is what we looked at last week, two gates, two roads, two different sides of crowds on these roads. Now, Jesus was abundantly clear in last week's passage that we as His disciples are to take the narrow gate, the hard road where few people are. Now, here He cautions us that we will be up against some foes who will seek to oppose us, but in a different way than maybe we think. Jesus doesn't say, beware of the militant Muslim. Jesus doesn't say beware of the antagonistic atheist. But rather, beware of false prophets. So what does that infer? Well, it means that Jesus knows that one of the greatest threats to the growth and maturity of His disciples are teachings and people within the church. Oh, sure, the other enemies are real, but they're easy to spot. If someone's yelling, Allah Akbar... Beware, you know, don't, don't go that way. Baptist. Right, yeah. <laughs> He's not Baptist. He's not from around here mostly. 
They're easy to spot. When you're being persecuted, when people are treating you bad, you don't want to listen to or follow them. But if someone is with you, if someone is like you, and they're even saying they speak for and from your God, well, that's a whole different issue now, isn't it? And that's exactly what's going on here. Jesus is referring to false prophets here. What's a prophet? A prophet is someone who brings the words of God to God's people and sometimes to the world as well. A prophet speaks on behalf of God. God chooses prophets to convey His words to the world. Amos 3.7 says it this way, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing His secret to His servants, the prophets. Okay? Prophets are the servants of God Himself. Pay no attention to the man behind the bathroom door singing at the, every day at my house. Every day. Anyway. <laughs> prophets are the servants of God Himself. But the ones referenced here in Matthew 7 by Jesus are not prophets, but rather false prophets. That means that the message they are bringing is not from God. A false prophet speaks to people, but not on behalf of God. They speak on behalf of themselves. Now, the Old Testament made provision for someone being a false prophet. We read part of some false prophet stuff this morning. Listen to this. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice, and you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commands you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Now let me ask you a question. How much tolerance does God have for false prophets? Zero. Kill them. Now listen, that was Israel. We ain't to kill nobody. That's not our job, okay? But in establishing His people, this is before they even go into the land, God said, if somebody comes and tells you, I had a dream, I had a vision, and God said we should not worship Him, but we should worship this other person, this other God, this other thing. God said, time to rock and roll. Stone that fella now. Because He has taught rebellion against the Lord your God to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk, so you shall purge evil from your midst. You claim to speak for God and you really don't? Well, in ancient Israel, you die. Now, does that seem harsh? Well, it should be. If God is going to lead His people through His Word, which is how He leads us, any pollution to that Word has to be dealt with drastically. So back in Matthew 7, Jesus issues a warning to beware of those who claim to speak for God but really don't. And remember our context from last week here. What has Jesus just said? The gate leading to life is narrow. The way is hard and few are those who find it. So if that's the word of God, what might the word of the false prophet be? 
that it's easy. It's fun. Everybody will get there. Relax. Enjoy yourself. Don't be so hard on people. But Jesus says, beware. Beware of folks and that, these folks and those messages that they're speaking. Here's the problem though. They sound good. They look good. And they're drawing crowds. Thousands of people can't be wrong, can they? Yeah. What did we say last week? If everybody's doing it, don't do it. They look good. They sound good. Jesus says they are those who come to you in sheep's clothing. These false prophets are wearing sheep's clothing. They look like sheep. This is the biblical description of God's people over and over again through the whole Bible. God is the shepherd. His people are His sheep. The sheep of His pasture. The sheep of His hand. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. But the problem with these false prophets wearing sheep's clothing is that Jesus says inwardly they're ravenous wolves. The old wolf in sheep's clothing trick, right? Bugs Bunny and all that stuff. We've seen that. If I was a wolf, if I were a wolf, who subsisted, who lived, existed by eating sheep, well, what better place to be than in the sheep pen, right? It's a veritable smorgasbord, orgasbord, orgasbord. I mean, there's just sheep all around me all the time. So where else would I want to be? But of course, you can't just stroll into the sheep pen as a wolf. The shepherds might see. The sheep might get spooked. But if you wear a sheep disguise, ha-ha-ha, you just might get in. Now, back in Matthew 6, we talked about not giving what's holy to dogs and not throwing our pearls before the pigs. Dogs and pigs are pretty easy to spot, right? Well, wolves are too, but not if they're dressed as sheep. These false prophets make themselves look like a person of God. They make themselves look like a speaker for God. And they make their way into the habitat of the sheep to feed their ravenous appetites. They sound good. They look good. And they are there to gorge themselves on their pen mates. It's completely self-serving, self-satisfying, deceptive, and murderous. Now, am I saying that they're there to kill people? No, not consciously. You know, that has surely happened. Jim Jones, others, there's been others, David Koresh. But Jesus is saying here to beware of people coming in teaching things that are ungodly, that are not feeding the sheep. Not giving them God's word. Beware, don't give your minds to these liars. Go back to that definition of beware and plug it in here. Don't apply oneself to. Don't attach oneself to. Don't hold or cleave to this person or thing. Don't be given or addicted to them or their teaching. Don't devote thought and effort to. Don't apply yourself to them or their teaching. Don't attach yourselves to them. Don't hold or cleave to them. Don't be addicted to them. Don't devote thought or effort towards them. Just don't. Easy to say, easy to agree to, but the problem is what they are saying sounds good. We like it. And it's got just enough truth in it 
It's so satanic, just enough truth in it that it sounds right, but something's just a little off. Did God really say? He's never changed his tactics. He's never had to because it works. I see that the tree is good for fruit and it's going to make me wise. So why wouldn't I eat it? It makes us feel good. It appeals to our senses and our sensibilities. And here's the skinny of it all. We just like what they're saying. What if it were true? What if this really is my best life now? We want it to be true. So as they play their Pied Piperish tune, we dance along to it, right out of town, to our death. And Jesus knows this. So he warns his disciples to beware of these false prophets. Beware of them. They are in sheep's clothing, but they are self-serving ravenous wolves. They are going to decimate the true sheep. So don't blindly follow anyone. Don't just walk out of here every Sunday and say, well, Jason said it must be true. Heavens, no. Please don't do that. And be mindful to watch out for these folks so that you don't fall into their trap. But how can we know who they are? Well, Jesus tells us. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? You want to know who is a true sheep and who is a wolf disguised as a sheep? Well, look at their fruits. That just got weird, didn't it? Sheep, goats, you want to know how to tell them apart? Look at their fruits. What am I looking at again? (laughs) Well, Jesus is saying that you can tell who is real and who is not by what their life is producing. Fruit is used in a couple of different ways in the Bible, actually several different ways, outside of the general fruit fruit. Okay, we know what fruit is. But it can describe the outcome of one's labor and it can also describe the qualities and effects of one's life. Jesus is saying that if you want to know whether or not someone is a false prophet, look at their life. Don't just listen to them. Don't just listen to their words. Look at their life. How do they act? How do they react? How do they treat people? What are their core desires? What is the pattern of their lives? Don't just listen to their words. Rather, inspect their life. My grandma, Saint, is in heaven now. She used to say all the time, she said, I'm not supposed to really um, judge anybody necessarily, but I am supposed to inspect their fruit. She said, I need to be a really good fruit inspector. It's a good word, grandma. But what are you looking for? You're going to smell wolf by digging under the surface, the thin veneer of their smooth words. There seems to be a very close association with false prophets in two things, money and sex. We looked at the story of Balaam on Wednesday. I think everybody did, right? No, the little kids. Now we're on the same page. Y'all remember the story of Balaam, though. Y'all did it the week before, I think. The downfall of Balaam was that he was greedy for gain. He had said that King Balak couldn't pay him enough. If he gave him all the silver he had, he wouldn't go with him. But then God said go, and then Balaam started seeing dollar signs we saw. And we'll look at some passages later in application about how the false teachers are chasing money. 
But Balaam did that. These fakers are usually chasing physical pleasure too. In referencing Balaam again, Jesus says to the church in Pergamum in the letters to the churches in Revelation 2, But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So Balaam didn't pronounce a curse, but he got with Balak later and said, I know what you can do. Get them involved in idolatry and get them involved in sexual immorality. And it worked. Now to be clear, it doesn't say that Balaam was pursuing sexual immorality himself, but he knew that teaching such a thing would lead to stumbling for the Israelites. So if you really want to know what a person is about, take a quick look at their life regarding money and sex. You say, well, I don't know about that. Just stay with me. So often, so often, the smoothest of those who speak the most appealing messages are a mess in their financial and physical pleasure realms. And check your own heart here too. The health, wealth, and prosperity folks in our day are solid indications of this. Saw a clip this week of a woman preaching who said that she was about to die. And the only way that they could bring her back to life is to give her money. Now, now listen, in this video the woman falls down as though dead and people are walking up and throwing money on her. Now that sounds crazy, doesn't it? It is crazy. And there are people doing it. And there are people listening. And there are people following this. And Jesus says, beware. I said, I'd have just walked up and tickled her. And I said, you ain't dead. You're ticklish. It's a miracle. People were literally coming up and dropping money on her and around her supposed corpse. You hear words like seed money. Love offerings, blessings, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Again, those are biblical words. But these words are abundant in their vocabulary and it usually revolves around money. And while they promise that you'll be blessed accordingly as well, they're raking in the cash and living in luxury mansions and flying in their private jets. Now, let me be clear, it is not a sin to be wealthy. It is not wrong to be wealthy. Job was wealthy. Abraham was wealthy. David was wealthy. Joseph of Arimathea was wealthy. Lydia was wealthy. But those who take advantage of God's people to exploit them and to stockpile their cash are false prophets. False teachers, literally. We'll get into that later. And their fruit, their lives are showing that they are false. Besides the physical pleasures they themselves are seeking, they also call others to seek that pleasure. They speak of blessings and good and positive things. There's no mention of a narrow path or a hard road or the fact that few are on the path to life. No, it's health, wealth, prosperity, all things good and decent and fun. And we are to recognize that and beware of them. Jesus Jesus sticks with the fruit analogy when He asks, Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Now, I'm no botanist, but I know that grapes are grown on vines and that figs are grown on trees. I actually had to look up the fig thing because I wasn't sure. It's trees. No thorns on the vines for the grapes, no thistles on the trees for the figs. They don't coexist there. 
So the answer to Jesus' rhetorical question is, no, they don't. He's saying to look at what makes these folks tick, what brings them life and pleasure in that life, and that will tell you what they're made of. They may lay some grapes on their thorn bushes. Check out my grapes. But the sap in their branch, the life source for them is pleasure. They may hide some figs on the outside of their thistly plant, but the roots of their lives are in the ground of self-satisfaction. Look past the outside and see what they're really made of. You can fake some fruit, but you cannot deny who you really are, what really makes you tick. Now let me say something really quick. We live in the information age. You can pull up your mobile device right now, go home, get on your computer, on your satellite TV, and you can hear thousands of different people teach the Word of God. Beware. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying beware. It's hard to get into the lives of people and know what they're really about when they're in California or when they're in Maine or when they're in Korea. Beware. Be very careful. And if you don't know what somebody's really like, beware. Listen to their teaching. But be careful. And if you hear something that rings out of true with the Scripture, thistles, thorns, run. 17. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Now this may seem oversimplified, but this truth is not overly complicated. You want to know if someone is a true man or woman of God? Watch and see what their lives produce. And in keeping with what we've been saying previously, we also need to see what their teaching is producing as well. It's one thing to say something. It's another thing to teach something. So I can just talk and I'm not really teaching. But what happens when I teach? What are the people doing that are hearing my teaching and following my instruction? If these false prophets come and say they're carrying God's message, what is the outcome if someone follows their teaching? What is the outcome if what they are saying is put into practice? Now here, the fruit that is produced is in the life of the adherent to the teachings of the false prophet. Does their teaching produce holy, God-honoring disciples of Jesus Christ? Or does their teaching produce frustrated, self-serving lovers of this world? Every healthy tree bears good fruit. If the teaching is good, if it's God's Word, that Word will blossom and bloom and multiply itself in the lives of those it is sown into. That healthy tree is bearing good fruit. But if the tree is diseased, it's going to bear bad fruit. The produce of this tree is yucky. Again, look at the disciples of these people, the adherence to what they're teaching. Ever bitten to a piece of bad fruit? Look good on the outside? And you take a bite and you're like, oh my heavens, it's gross, right? That's the effect of coming into contact with these diseased tree fruit folk. It definitely leaves a bad taste in your mouth if you're truly God's disciple. The product of what is seen in the lives of the people affected by this false teaching is not palatable. Now the wolves may multiply as they devour the sheep... But the, but the wake of death in their path is evident to those who are looking. The tree is diseased and it's bearing bad fruit. That's all it can do. Next verse. 
A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Again, pretty plain, isn't it? If a tree is healthy, it cannot bear bad fruit. And if a tree is diseased, it cannot bear good fruit. Jesus says in John 15, 5, I'm the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, this healthy tree is full of the sap of the life of Jesus himself. And that tree, overflowing with the very life of Jesus, cannot bear bad fruit. But a tree that is not nurtured by that heavenly life cannot bear good fruit. It can only reproduce itself. And that product is bad. It's yucky. It's diseased itself. And it cannot be any other way. So what do we do with these diseased trees? Well, actually, we don't really do nothing. God does, though. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, don't be deceived. These deceivers may deceive others and they may succeed in the here and now and they may take exotic vacations and wear their $2,500 shoes, but ultimately judgment is coming for them. If your tree is not bearing good fruit, if you are a false prophet reproducing your diseased fruit in the lives of others, you will be judged. And Jesus says here that judgment is that that judgment is to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now you don't need a lot of fancy explaining to know what that means, do you? Cut down and thrown in the fire means death than hell. Their wide and easy gate, their busy path leads them to destruction. God will cut them down and cast them into hell, and that eternal conscious torment is destruction indeed. Jesus said to fear the one who's able to destroy both body and soul in hell. And that destruction, referenced here, leaves a spirit to suffer the catastrophic loss forever. And they are leading others there with them. So beware. Last verse. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. This is a powerful reiteration of Jesus' admonition to beware of these false prophets. Keep an eye out on these people, their lives, their teaching, and their followers. The main command of the passage is to beware of the false prophets, but the directions on how to do it are repeated here. Be discerning, be vigilant, and watch the fruits that are produced. That's your main indicator. And that brings us to the end of our passage today, which leads us to application. Three F's pulled straight from the context of the passage. False, fruit, and fire. Fire, fire. False. Application point number one, false. This, of course, refers to false prophets, like what we read about in our passage today. Now, what is our job as far as they go? What did Jesus say to do with false prophets here? Beware. Remember that definition of beware? We aren't to apply ourselves to them. We aren't aren't to attach ourselves to them. We aren't to hold or cleave to them. We aren't to be given to or addicted to them. We are not to devote our thoughts or efforts to. 
We have to make sure, we as the people of God, have to make sure that we don't cozy up to these false prophets. That we don't devote our thoughts to them. We can't let them in our heads. So what should we look out for? How can we tell a false prophet? Now, I'm going to do something they would probably tell me in preaching school not to do. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to read through 2 Peter chapter 2. We talked about this a little bit Wednesday night. actually mentions Balaam. But I'm going to read through 2 Peter chapter 2. And if you want to just note, circle, press, I don't know what you do, how you watching this. But look at the explanation of who these false prophets, who these false teachers are, and what they do, what they look like. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go through this as quickly as we can. But false prophets also arose among the people... Just as there will be false teachers among you... Now stop a second. What did Peter just do? False teachers arose among the people, the Israelites back in the day, and there will be false what? What's it say in the Bible? Peter doesn't say, watch out for false prophets. Peter says, watch out for false teachers. What's the difference? The prophetic office is closed, y'all. Okay, There are no prophets today like there were in the Old Testament times and even in the New Testament times. Somebody comes and says, I'm a prophet, I speak for God. Sign one. Are you really? Now listen, there is a prophetic tinge to teaching the Word of God, to speaking the Word of God into people's lives. That is a prophetic type work, but the office of prophet is gone. Yeah, we, we preach a revealed word, not a, not a new word. And that's, that's a lot of time what these... I got a new word from God. I don't need a new word from God. So just go, go down the next door. I don't need you. I don't want you in my head. So Peter clearly says, false prophets arose among them, just as there will be false teachers among you. Okay, that's important. Who will secretly bring destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Now watch this. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. So that means these people are getting caught in sexual sin. And they're people of God. So God's name is being blasphemed because they're following their sensuality. Anybody ever seen that before? Yeah. And in their greed, there's money. We saw sex, now we're seeing money. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment... Don't have time to talk about that. If He did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when He brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes... He condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if He rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority." Let me say this real quick. If somebody comes and they're speaking for God and they're saying throw off authority, not from God. 
bold and willful. Man, they're strong folk. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. Now listen, angels don't stand and curse demons. But these people don't tremble at all. I'm a demon executor. I'm going to lay the law down on this demon. Foolishness. Bold and willful, they don't tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, doing what feels good, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, and they show themselves to be ignorant real quick, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage of their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they've gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom. Now note this. This is huge. They promise them freedom. These false teachers promise freedom. Health, wealth, prosperity, and no sin. But they themselves are slaves of corruption. For, whoever over, for whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Now that is sobering. That is somber. That is Peter yelling, Beware of these types of people. And I would encourage you to go back through Second Peter. We don't have time to do that. Second Peter 2. And that's a good filter, a good funnel to say, is this person in line with this? Or is this person preaching holiness? Salvation through Christ alone. By grace alone, through faith alone, as taught in the Scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. This is not just pretty. This is the filter by which we filter everything that we say and do, hopefully. These are the five solas alone. These are the plain things that are the main things. And if people are not walking according to these, this is a good God. You say, well, that's not in the Bible. It's based on the Scriptures. This isn't 1 Luther 2, 6, 7, 8, 9. This is based on scriptural truth. These false teachers are preaching a counterfeit gospel of their own making for their own gain and pleasure. Paying attention to their lives, their teaching, and their followers so you can see them for what they really are makes you aware of them. And beware of them. Don't listen to their podcasts. 
Don't read their books. Don't watch their shows. Don't let your loved ones get caught up in their teachings. Don't try to be like them. Make sure your life is free from them and their teachings. It's important. We just lazily listen to whoever's on the radio and say, oh man, man, I love to hear them preach. Nothing wrong with that in and of itself, but if they're preaching false doctrine, writing books that are teaching false doctrine, don't. It's false. So beware of them. Don't let them in. And there is a call later on to even expose these things, but first we have to beware of them. False. Second application point is fruit. Ultimately, every single person who has ever drawn breath in this world will be judged according to the fruit that is produced in their lives. Saved or unsaved. We will all be judged according to our fruit. What is the produce of our lives? What is coming out of us? What is nourishing or poisoning other people? Application for that is, inspect your own fruit. What kind of fruit are you producing? Jesus said this, John 15, 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You want to know if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ or not? Is your life bearing fruit? Well, what kind of fruit? Well, luckily, not luckily, providentially, we have the answer to that. Does your Where does your life fall in this? But I say, walk by the Spirit, this is Galatians 5, 16-24, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Here's some bad fruit. Sexual immorality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He left the junk drawer open there. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, listen to me, broad path, will not inherit the kingdom of God. If this list characterizes your life, you are lost. And if this list characterizes the people that you're listening to and watching and following, they're leading you to destruction. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions. Let me ask you a question. Is your life characterized by this or this? If your life is not characterized by this, again, I'm not saying this to scare you. I'm begging with you. I'm pleading with you. You're not saved. Now, I'm not saying perfectly. But I'm saying is your life marked by... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, general self-control. Let me tell you what, the road ain't crowded with people that live like this. 
He gave us a list. Do you look like this or do you look like this? That's what we're looking for as far as fruit in our own lives and in the lives of other people. Listen, if somebody's life is marked by envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, fruit inspection says that's not the fruit of the Spirit of God. That's the fruit of the Spirit of this age. That's not real complicated. Inspect your own life. What fruit marks your life? False fruit and finally fire. Now this is a little bit different. Stay with me. Listen to me. I said everybody will be judged according to their fruit and we will all be judged, every single one of us, with fire. You say, now what? Now we already saw today that the fire of hell is real and is the ultimate outcome of the life and teaching of the false teachers and all who are following them on the broad path to destruction. But did you know that even the believer's fruit will pass through fire in the judgment? In light of all that we've seen today, let's look at 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. Watch this. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Now watch this. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So if the foundation of what somebody's saying is not Jesus Christ, false. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day. That last day, the day of judgment, will disclose it because it will be revealed by... Fire! And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. What? What's that mean? It means that everything that you've done in your Christian life, he's talking to saved people here, those deeds, that fruit is going to pass through fire. I mean, that, that's what it says. Some of those works will be burnt up. Those are works that were not built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Those are things that maybe I did because I wanted to do it. It was nice. It seemed like the right thing to do. But the fire reveals, I'm going to be saved, but my work was not rooted, grounded founded on Jesus Christ Himself. Why am I saying this at this point of the message? It's the last application point. Well, I think it's safe to say there are two, at least two, false prophet errors when it comes to defining salvation. One is that you try your best to get saved, doing what you can, working and striving and checking off boxes. Well, let me tell you, that's a lie. The Bible does not teach us this. The other error is that it's easy to be saved. And God loves us all and just wants us all to be blessed. Also not true. What Paul just told us in 1 Corinthians is that even good deeds will be weighed in the measure at the last day. Some of our deeds will burn up, meaning that they were done in our strength, our ability for reasons that do not concern God. But if we work according to the grace that God gives, if we live and do our good deeds in the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God then those good works will pass through the fire and will prove to be of, from, and for 
God. And only that which is for Him will last. Which means that every deed we do is to be filtered through this funnel, determining whether what we are doing is for us or for God's glory. The false prophets don't teach that truth. They will tell you to do your best or just trust that God is good and benevolent and wouldn't think of punishing anyone. But God tells us to look to His grace, placing our faith in Him in the finished work of Christ on the cross and then to, like we saw last week, deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus. It is not a wide gate. It is not an easy road and not everybody is doing it. But it's the biblical gospel. And the biblical gospel produces biblical followers of Jesus which produce fruit that passes through the fiery judgment of God into eternal rewards and glory. Nothing else will. Now listen, I'm not saying this to scare you. But I do want to call you to evaluate your life and know for certain that the fruit in your life is from and for God. We close with this, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, Paul says, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. This is the life free from the power and influence of false teachers, producing fruit by and for God, for it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. This is the life. This is the fruit that will survive the fire of judgment. And no, it's not an easy road. But it is the God-ordained one, the one that Jesus calls people to. Beware of those who teach otherwise and whose poisonous fruit contaminate those around them. There is one way to heaven. It is through Jesus Christ. There is one way to produce fruit in your Christian life, and it is through Jesus Christ. There is one way for your fruit to abide and to remain, and that is when it is done in, through, by, and for Christ Himself. Evaluate your life. See where you stand. And beware of those who would teach otherwise. Let's pray. God, you do not grade on a curve. There are two paths. One leads to destruction, one leads to life. God, help us, in light of what we've seen today, to beware of those who teach otherwise. Help us to not cleave to them or let them into our heads or hearts or lives. John would say in 2 John to not even greet those people. Don't welcome them into your home. Don't say hi to them. God, help us to be passionately pursuing holiness in the fear of God, knowing that it is you who works in us, both to will and to work for your good pleasure. And help us to be discerning and know the truth that sets us free and that will set other people free as well. And help us to preach the biblical gospel of Christ crucified dead, buried, raised again, ascended into heaven and seated at your right hand, interceding for His people even now. And the same one who will come 
with his robes dipped in blood for fiery judgment upon the evil and the wicked. May we cleave to him, deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? From Second Peter. I pray that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. And all God's people said, Amen. Stay neat with us if you can.